This episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And today we have a very special and thoughtful episode. Uh, veteran care is an often overlooked cause in today's society. Soldiers return home from combat with needs that are going unmet at alarming rates. Today we are joined by behavioral scientist uh, Dr. Gino Kalura and VP of the We Defy Foundation, TJ Kreitzer, to talk about the role jiu-jitsu might play in lightening their load. Gents, welcome onto the show. How are we doing? Thanks. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All I right. really appreciate the opportunity and, and this conversation, man. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm excited myself about this one, guys. I really Yeah, Gino, like, if, if in case it gets cut, I'm still mad at you for your haircut. So, like, don't <laughs> smile so much. No worries, man. I get it. It's a good reason to be pissed. It's cool. <laughs> uh, your mug's nicer than mine, too. Shit. I'm not even going to bring it up. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just to, to – this is the first uh, roundtable type show we've ever done. So, we're just going to take it over to TJ real quick. TJ, if you could sort of outline your connection to – the military and jujitsu and, and the We Defy Foundation for us, just so our viewers get a better idea of who we're speaking with. Okay, well, um, I uh, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and then uh, kind of had a dream of uh, flying a fighter ever since I uh, saw the trench run in Star Wars <laughs> as a little kid. <laughs> and uh, I was lucky that I, I grew up in a supportive environment that um, prepared me well for uh, – for success in life and eventually got to go to the Air Force Academy, graduated from there, went to pilot training to a NATO program uh, built to produce fighter pilots and uh, graduated from that, flew the F-16 on a couple different places, flew in Korea, flew in Iraq, and uh, eventually became an instructor pilot and uh, joined the Air Force Reserves and finished out my time, got a 20-year uh, reserve retirement out of it. Um, and then, Towards the last couple of years of my uh, Air Force time, I started to get into jujitsu, and I have a psychology degree from the Air Force Academy as well. And what I started to see was that there was a pairing between veterans and this activity. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with just the warrior ethos that is, exists in it as an attraction to it. But there's so many other components to it that fit uh, the warrior psyche and the warrior ethos. And I was in a gym in uh, Chicago uh, Redzvik downtown loop gym, just uh, training on a drop-in. I met a vet in the back or in the um, uh, locker room afterwards. And we started talking about his uh, challenges and in integrating back to uh, civilian life after service. And we talked for about an hour and we covered a lot of subjects that I'm interested in, like PTSD and, and uh, trauma therapy and moral injury and a lot of other concepts that I've stayed up with, with this uh, psychology degree and a background, at least in an ac with an academic interest in, in uh, you know, current issues. And at the end of that talk, he said, you know, the way you frame some of this stuff for me, um, I, 
was really good. And it was a way that I haven't seen a frame before. And I think you should think about helping people. And that put a bug in me to, to look for something, uh, maybe through the VA or something else where I could help veterans. Um, Cause we've all, veterans commonly have challenges on all kinds of different levels um, when they leave the service. And I don't think, I know very few that, um, that don't, uh, couldn't use some sort of, uh, you know, outlet at some point. Um, and then I found out about We Defy Foundation at a seminar in Minnesota where they were the beneficiaries of the fundraising. And Mission 22 was there and We Defy was there. And I, I looked at both organizations and I asked about ambassador programs in both, but We Defy really spoke to me because it was the one that was focused on jujitsu. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's how I, I got involved. Um, the We Defy Foundation uh, sponsors veterans to train jujitsu for a year as a way to help cope with their uh, service-connected disabilities. It's the, I think it's a lot of the community that helps with that, and then it's the activity itself. So that, that, there's a bunch of different components that make jiu-jitsu great. But We Defy tries to bring people that are on the outside, that are, that are challenged, that are trying to find a way to integrate back into society, and we provide a method to do that through the sport. Well, that's... I can't think of a more organic way to transition to our other guest, uh, Dr. Gino. You've uh, specifically done a lot of work in that field. If you could tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself, how you got turned on to studying this issue and the the incredible study that you did on you know PTSD and, and jiu-jitsu as a specific activity. Just t take it from there if you could. Yeah, right on, man. So... Um... You know, to, to, to kind of echo the sentiment that TJ kicked off, there's something inherently unique and special about jujitsu uh, and, and grappling in general. So um, my, my own personal story kind of getting to, to where it is that I am today. So um, as as Kevin had mentioned earlier, you know, when, when I first kind of got exposed to, to the combative arts, specifically Gracie jujitsu, um, I fell in love with it, right? I was probably 18, 19 years old. Um, a gentleman by the name of Rob Khan had just came down from New York, opened up shop. Uh, Kevin, you know. Yeah. <laughs> opened up shop at Frank Colt's gym. And, uh, you know, at the time I was boxing, you know, young, full of piss and vinegar, right? So I'm like, oh, what's this jujitsu stuff, man? I don't know what this is all about. And so Rob's super nice guy. He's like, oh, why don't you come try a class? And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I'm going to rock him. I'm going to be great. Dude, he tapped me like 10 times in the first minute, right? Just an incredibly humbling experience. So I, I have had a profound uh, respect for the art and obviously started training. Fast forward about two years later, uh, I got involved with the executive protection industry. And so that led me down uh, to moving to Colombia, South America, specifically Cartagena, uh, which is a beautiful city, um, but like anything else in a third world country, it's got its ups and it's got its downs, right? So um, had an opportunity to work uh, closely with a unit that called La Jungla. So La Jungla is, is um, a specific sector that really focuses in on operating at a very fast operational tempo, and they do a lot of narcotraficante type op operations, right? So um, I got exposed to what PTSD is, right? So the idea of there being trauma and there's some sort of, of, of stress that we are feeling, right? Or what we call allostatic load in the research world, which I'll talk about that later. 
but it, it kind of takes us off our bearings and it feels like something's not right. We're not blending in. We're not normal, right? Hence why it's a disorder. The thing about Columbia that's really unique and that I learned there is that, you know, the, the, these cats that I was, I was surrounded with, you know, religion was a big deal. Belief in something bigger, belief in something deeper than just the mission itself, right? They were doing what they were doing for a reason, um, that went beyond just orders that held a lot of significance and salience in their hearts and in their minds. So whenever they would begin to feel the symptomology associated with what we would consider here in the States, PTSD, for them, they called it demonios de guerra, right? Which basically means demons of war. And they would go to church, right? And, and they would go into confession. And for, for many of them, that worked, right? It helped to subside a lot of the symptoms that they were feeling. That fascinated me, right? So looking at how PTSD is dealt with here in the, in the States, um, you know, with the diagnostics and statistics manual that we have, the medications that get pushed um, out, out to a lot of vets um, and first responders for that matter as well, uh, there's a huge contrast. There's a really, really big difference between the deeper significance and meaning from a religious perspective, um, which has a lot of tentacles of association with identity. How do I identify myself in this particular time with this particular set of circumstances that has passed trauma all over? So came back to the States after that, that stint of working down there and started my PhD at USF in a discipline called neuroanthropology. That's neuroscience mixed with cultural medical anthropology. I always get amazed when you say that because my mind, the literary side of my mind, tries to piece those two words together and come up with such a specific skill set as, as what no, that okay. entails. I got, I got it. No, Kevin's really thinking. Oh man, there's so many ways I could get that term wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Kevin, tell me what that means real quick. <laughs> oh, okay. Go ahead, go ahead, Gina. Sorry. No, no, cool, man. So, um. Came back here, started doing some work and some internships with the VA and uh, really had a chance to understand the clinicization of PTSD as we know it um, and really got exposed to, to what it means to go through the process and the protocols that were set forth by the VA. And United with me at the time, I had picked up jujitsu again um, and uh, yeah, I knew with, with some of my own demons, right, it, it was helping me. Like I'll give you guys some personal insight. When, when I was a child, um, third grade, my aunt was shot in the face in front of me, right? And, and so my parents, as a result, got me into martial arts, right, to try and help from a coping perspective. I never connected those dots because I was so young. As I got older and I came back to the States um, and I saw what, what the difference was as far as jujitsu made uh, in my life, right? It, it, was a, it was a big deal, right? And, and I, I didn't have anywhere near the experience that a lot of these veterans haven't had. So I knew that there was something there and I wanted to understand it more. So I spent, um, gosh, about four or five years really entrenched in literature review, study review, uh, interviews with, with practitioners, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, sociologists to, to understand the overarching sentiment of where are some of the cracks in the foundation. We have so many folks that go to the VA seeking treatment, but more importantly, we have a ton who don't. Right. And, and those numbers are very significant because I think it's to the tune of about 70 percent of vets who commit suicide never went to the VA for treatment in the first place. Right. And so there's a gap. like there, There's a problem. Right. That we have to address. And so clearly the, the white coat effect. Right. Meaning going to a doctor, someone you don't know, you can't relate to. You haven't ever shared any sort of combative camaraderie with that person. I'm supposed to spill on my guts. 
right? And have this conversation with you when you can't relate. Like that's tough, man, especially when you're coming from a brotherhood and a camaraderie that is, is forged in blood and sweat and tears, like legitimately. So I knew something was, was off. So I did a retrospective analysis as well for many different cultures, combative cultures to understand the deeper essence, the deeper meaning of, of what was going on, what it means for one human being to take another life, what it means for one human being to lose a life as in a, a brother right, or a sister that they were very, very close with and the trauma associated and experienced with it. And also how important social capital is. When I say social capital, just meaning the people around you, having a good bank of folks that you can trust, that you can build memories with, that you can rely on. And brother, I mean, I think you guys can all relate. Like, here, here in the civilian world, especially in the corporate world, right? You don't see camaraderie like that. You don't see the bonds and the trust. It's a tap dance. Everyone's kind of just tap dancing to do what they got to do to get the paycheck, to get to the next level. There is no deeper uh, binding element um, that, that perpetuates and pushes them forward. So I knew I wanted to do something to highlight that because I knew I felt personally that, that was a missing component in the treatment protocol for best. Now, did it mean that jujitsu was for everybody? No, of course not, right? But there's a, a myriad of things that people can do. Do I think it's one that's that's extremely salient? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, in a really big way. So um, that that is what kicked off my study. And, and my gosh, man, today, today actually is it's five years since I completed that study, believe it or not. <laughs> I remember oh. when you were coming around gym to gym doing your case study. Before any of this was even on, on the board, I remember I remember yeah. you came up and asked me some questions about that. That's so exactly. I've got a few follow-up questions to that because I, I yeah, I mean I, I had such I, I interviewed you previously for, for mm -hmm. an article I wrote for the Jitsu Times, and I remember it was one of the most enlightening uh conversations I've had on the topic of PTSD in a long, long time because it's things that I myself understand. You know what I'm talking about? But I don't really understand the scientific premises of why right. the connections are made and why these things are relatable and why the effects are shown to the sufferers of PTSD. I get the camaraderie. I get all the other things. But hearing someone from an actual scientific uh, perspective that's actually done a case study on the topic, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's enlightening to me because now it helps my understanding of it more and more. So can you talk briefly about you know, you, you talked about the Lahonga and 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 the the members of that uh, military paramilitary group going to 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 church and going to confession for the relief. Can you talk about some of the similarities that you see between jujitsu and that same kind of religious experience? Yeah. So let's start with ritual, right? The ritualistic nature of jujitsu itself, right? The tapping, the rolling, the fist bumps, all that kind of stuff. The ritualistic nature with other human beings has a lot of value, right? Because it's something that A, we can expect. It's not an unknown. We know our brain doesn't like ambiguity. It doesn't like that state of confusion. So to know what to expect, A, B, to do what you're expecting with folks who you trust, that's a really big thing. In a world, especially nowadays, where social media reigns, everyone has a, a pseudo life, right, that they're putting out there. To be able to be raw with someone, to be able to be naked, right, so to speak, with, with other people, that's an incredibly powerful thing. So if you think about the religious experience, when you're at your most vulnerable state and you are in confession and you are saying, I did this, I feel like this, God, please help me. Please give me that power. Give me that insight, right? Though, yeah, we, we can make the argument that it's not actually religion that jujitsu is, but we could also make the argument that, yeah, it is. <laughs> we right. get easily to jujitsu is religion, right? And so um, it's the idea of having something 
being bound to something much greater than ourselves. When we are training, we are literally sacrificing ourselves for each other, right? It's not just, yeah, there is a selfish component that we want to get better in our game, but I'm also giving up my elbow for the arm bar. I'm giving up my neck for the choke, the knee bar, whatever it is. And in a split second, someone who doesn't know any better, they could cause some very serious damage. So the trust uh, that is there is not one that you would find in other places. It's very similar to what you would find in a religious context. Do, do you find, obviously, in, in uh, terms of... Real, uh, real quick, I just wanted to... I, th I thought that was a good place to kick it over to TJ, just sure. that uh, that aspect of, of trust. Uh, TJ, you know, uh, flying for as long as you have, trust is a is an incredibly important aspect of, of being in the service in all branches. Um, how did it feel learning to trust people in combative situations outside of the military, just like in, on, in the gym? I think that's um, a really key point to why this program works so well with reintegration, because a lot of soldiers come back uh, with a trust deficit where they gained so much trust with the, the, the people in their immediate surroundings, the people they're deployed with. But then you're in that environment and you don't know who the enemy is a lot. You could see kids on the street that are throwing rocks at you with razor blades attached to them and, and all kinds of terrible things. You don't know who to trust. The, the moral system uh, of survival in a combat scenario is different than the normal things we, we are concerned with here you know, in day-to-day -day life. That trust you build with the people you're deployed with is hard to replace. And you get used to not trusting a lot. And some you know, people I've come into contact with um, through the program and then other veterans have said that learning that when you're being attacked in jujitsu and you tap and it stops, you rebuild trust. You learn how to trust again. And now you're learning to trust people that are, don't have that military background. They don't have that same story that you have with the people you did trust before. And you slowly build these bonds of trust in a different kind of community. And it helps with that reintegration. It helps get rid of or um, decrease the isolation. A lot of veterans feel when they come back. It's that trust building components, the part of the community component of jujitsu is one of the, one of the, I talk about five facets of jujitsu and there's a lot more. Um, but I package it this way when I, when I talk in groups, I talk to people, it's fitness, human touch, structure, community, and achievement. And that trust piece touches a couple of different places, you know, in, in that, in that bucket or in those buckets, but the community part is a big part of trust. And, uh, I think that learning to tap, learning, learning that you now have control again, you have control in this situation that even if it's horrible and it sucks and a 280 pound brown belt is on your chest you can make it stop when it's time it's up to you and you learn to trust those people again and that's a big deal that's a big deal for people trying to reintegrate back in a civilian life do do you feel like um some of the the more carnal aspects of jujitsu the fact that we can compete in 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 fight with one another that in, in a manner that simulates what real life confrontations are going to be like over and over and over again and it since start to to rechannel and start to make the connections to what you know some of these sufferers from ptsd are, are going through make them relate to what some of the, the, the scenarios of real real-time war like a firefighter some of the things would be 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 like you know i've talked to a lot of veterans who who talk about that 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 they miss 
the fight to an extent. They miss that intensity. They miss the, that adrenaline rush. And where are you going to find that outside of outside of that scenario? We find it in combat sports. And now you're finding it with people that that that, that start to feel that same human thing, that human component, that don't have a military background. You know that community. Um, when I talked to Gino a couple months ago, um, after after Jiu-Jitsu Times published his article, you know, we, we I connected with him. I said, "Man, you've got the data and the information that we want to have to be able to demonstrate that this program works." And one of the things we talked about was was identity, and and that's a component of it. I think is that warrior ethos, that warrior peace, and that part of you is not just what you think you are, but what you, your body has experienced, the physiological components of war and of combat. And now you're duplicating them in a safe, trusting environment. So you're getting pieces of your identity that you, that you had, you're getting them back, and now you're expressing them with a whole new group of people. And it's very important. Which also, in turn, helps to bridge that gap between yeah. normal civilians and the soldiers returning so now it helps them to assimilate into everyday life because civilians are everyday people and again i i talk about these things because i i don't understand what the effects of ptsd are i've never been to war i've never i've never experienced any of those things but i do know what i believe to be one of the greatest components of of, of bjj is is the fact that we can recreate what the stresses of a real life fighting situation to be with over and over and over again and learn how to deal with them learn how to keep keep their mindset in the same so i make the connection that you know bjj in in fighting in a firefight is similar granted i've never been there but i've heard from other people that the 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 way the mind processes is you know through the cognitive abilities and through the limbic system and whatnot are similar so I, I imagine that it helps with that for uh, for PTSD sufferers. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I just oh, I was just I was going to kick it over to to you, Doc. But uh, it, TJ was talking about uh, commenting on how you you had the data, you you had the numbers that sort of backed up what a lot of people sort of have come to know about jujitsu. What was it like collecting that data and seeing it build up and and building towards uh the end result like the once you had all this stuff to look at what was the process like of, of learning more and building that uh paper you know man that's a great question i mean the, the first word that comes to mind is privileged it really really it was it was an incredible opportunity to be in a position to spend time with with guys who have gone through this level of trauma and to watch how their participation in jujitsu has changed their lives, legitimately changed their lives, right? I mean, some, some of the participants got off of Paxil Zoloft, right? They were able to push that to the side. They were able to push the alcohol habit to the side. Um, others were able to retain employment, right, for, for longer than a couple of months. Others had uh, relationships, their, their marriages they were going down the tubes, and they were able to bring it back to life, uh, be a better parent, be a better friend. So, you know, accumulating the data itself, one of the biggest methodologies that I utilized was participant observation. When Kevin mentioned earlier, I was going around from school to school, I would literally some nights just sit on the corner of the mat and I would just observe everything. Everyone who was a registered participant in my study, I would follow what they were doing, what they were saying, how they were doing it. And then I would take that data, cross-reference it with interviews, focus groups that I would do with them, um, and in addition to some other 
types of uh, research methodology. So one thing I want to touch on, though, to kind of buttress what TJ was saying earlier, and this definitely goes to the point of what you asked me, Kevin. So you know, we have this concept called mental framing, right? So mental framing means the conditions and expectations that you foresee was something that you're going to have to do, right? When you are looking at a population that is combat seasoned, and folks who have dealt with the displacement of not being home, having to deal with austere environments, having to deal with life or death, fight or flight on a regular basis. It's an amazing thing because a lot of folks don't realize the wars that we have been fighting, right, the past 20 some odd years, right, they're not conventional in the sense that it is counterinsurgency operations. The nature of counterinsurgency, right, requires you, and General Petraeus said the best, winning the hearts and minds. All right, of folks. So when TJ said, you know, you don't really know who to trust, that's a really big deal because when you're trained and conditioned to, hey, one day, yes, we want to give out and work with civil affairs to give out all these great things to the local Afghanis and Iraqis. But at the same time, the 13 year old could come around the corner with an AK 47 and start shooting at us, or the wife could be strapped with a bunch of bombs. It is an incredibly stressful thing to say, okay. So I don't have a very clear picture of who the bad guy is and what I need to go do. It could be him, her, the child. I don't know. And when that is imprinted on your brain and then you come back to the States to try to reassimilate, reacculturate, brother, you're talking about going against the grain of what trained you to keep your butt alive, right? I mean, and th these are the things that hypervigilance, not being able to calm down in social settings. I mean, that's a big deal, right? And in addition to other symptomologies that are, are, are synonymous with PTSD. And that's why so many folks, and there has been a push to shift from PTSD just to PTS, post-traumatic stress, drop the disorder, because a lot of times the argument can be made that, listen, it's, a, it's the most natural way for us to adapt to the environment that we were in. All of these different characteristics are byproducts of the amount of stress that we went through. It's a natural, normal thing. The thing is that the majority of humans have no idea what that's like. Yeah, it's 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 amazing what stress will do to the human mind and our abilities and just the the, the desire to survive and how we'll, we'll we'll mutate our thought processes and 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 move on. You know, just in any any traumatic instance, you know, we 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 block things out and like those traumas just don't go away. They stay inside of your brain and they 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 materialize in, in odd, you know, horrible, horrible manners from time to time. It's 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 an interesting way that you, that you describe the two on why it's difficult for these guys to come back to assimilate, which is very, very yeah. tough for them. I just very briefly, Gino, I just wanted to say um you just pissed me off pretty pretty severely. And uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go forward without at least commenting on it. Uh, you talked That's about, good. you yeah. talked about that you felt privileged and like lucky and like, man, like so many people have it harder than me. Yesterday, I unironically struggled, struggled to open a bag of chips and it pissed me off for like two hours. <laughs> and today, today I'm sitting here with motherfucking Maverick and Jack Ryan giving me like the craziest stories ever. One's like, flown into the stratosphere the others fighting drug dealers in 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 colombia like just and you got a good hair like gino i'm sorry i really am shut the fuck up <laughs> he put I'm his really fancy sorry, shirt on jesus christ man other people got it for real just like absolutely shut up <laughs> that's it bro i'm, I'm done. running i'm the running low on Lacroix, and i'm pissed about it and you're hey <laughs> i'm sorry i just this morning with one specific intent and that was to piss you the hell off so i 
with my day. I'm good. Oh man. Uh, so, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, a few of the other things that that Jiu Jitsu recreates for the soldier's <laughs> mind. I remember when I interviewed you before, we talked about the the hierarchy of the belt system as it imitates the same uh, you know parameters of what a military life is like. Because I know a lot of my friends that are ex-military guys that come home and you know they have a longing for that structure they have a longing for that hierarchy of events you know you 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 don't just arbitrarily uh succumb or or or, or, or you know follow someone else's lead unless they have rank over you and and when we come back into jiu-jitsu like there seems to you know obviously the belt ranking system kind of recreates that do you feel like that's relevant tj what do you think about that yeah i think that um it's relatable and that that's a that's a big component of it. Um, right. You know, the, the, you're used to structure in the military where you're you know you're given a lot of stuff. You're you know when to use it. You know when you're going to be told when to do certain things and how to do certain things. There is a rank structure that you wear a uniform, and that becomes a very normal part of your life. And you leave the military, and all of that is gone. And now you have to figure out how to do things without that structure, without that support network. And it sounds like it shouldn't be a big deal, but when you're already uh, very burdened with a lot of stuff, every chunk of control that you lose matters. And that um, that you know familiarity with that it helps to establish a little bit of a sense of control again because you get it. You know who the instructor is. You understand. Where you are at the bottom is a white belt. You're the new guy. You know how to be the new guy because you were the new guy before. And, you know, it was rough when you were the new guy. And so you're used to that, you know. Um, that, I think that's a, a very relatable component. So when guys get into, or men and women both, when they start jujitsu, that component feels familiar. And as they practice it more and more, it returns a sense of control to their lives. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of times, too, when, when I think about, you know, soldiers return back, particularly soldiers that were in co in conflict or soldiers that were in, in in war times. You know, when they come back to to America or they come back to the states and they have to go get a job at some you know menial position, they've got some manager that's never been to war before. Like they're accustomed to the rule of the strong. Like they they followed orders from guys that kept them alive, and the reason why they followed those orders is because that dude has been out there going through the shit and understands how to stay alive. Then when they come back to the states. You know, they try to get a job and like they've got some kid, you know, some dude that's never done anything in his life. that's out there telling them how they're supposed to restock groceries. And there's that disconnect because they haven't really been through the same things that this person has, has been through. What yeah. do you think about that, Gina? No, I mean, Kevin, you nailed it, right? I mean, leadership. Right. There, there is such a huge disconnect between the quality of leadership that these guys and gals have been exposed to, right, when, when they're outside of the wire and they come back to the States. Listen, man, you walk into a jiu-jitsu academy, a legitimate one. Uh, <laughs> that black belt instructor, like that's not someone that anyone walking in that door is going to easily overturn. You didn't earn that rank because you paid money for it. It just doesn't exist in jiu-jitsu culture. But but so knowing that you're dealing with someone who, who has been there, done that, and they continuously do it, and they're leading by example every single night because they're not just telling you what to do, they're rolling with you as well, right? So it's a constant validation that, dude, I have a, lot, a long way to go, right? I have a lot still to learn. And even when you start kind of getting that chip on your shoulder, you're like, oh, I'm getting my games, it's getting pretty slick. And they lock your ass up. <laughs> it's like, okay, so 
bring it back down, <laughs> right? Back, back down to, to, to ground level. So we're in, in a normal civilian sense, you don't have that. You don't have that respect level because that sort of leadership, it generates organic uh, respect. And, and in a corporate setting, in social settings, you don't have that, right? And, and so you have the, the fake tough guys who feel like they demand respect. Um, you've got interactions with folks who are passive aggressive, which is a really much more highly occurring thing these days because of some of the emotional issues going on, psychological issues. But um, it, it, it matters. Leadership is a very, very big deal in the leader in the military and as well as, of course, in jujitsu. I mean, who it is you train under, that matters. That lineage, that matters. Yeah. And, and I, I imagine when, you know, again, when, when you when you go through the traumas of what war is like and when when you, when you fought and again i'm i by no means like to ma- like to try to make the correlations like i can understand what it's like to be the war because i can't i, I want to continue to say that because i can't because i think it's important that i make that correlation but i've done some shit you know i worked in bars i've been in real life confrontations i've i've been in you know plenty of jujitsu competitions and real life fights boxing matches and, and mma matches and all those other things that i've been involved in and what i've known is is that when you start to go through that ringer your bullshit detector is very high like you know when, when you've got some fake dude in your face that's trying to look like you're tough it's very difficult to respect them unless they know where you're coming from and mm-hmm. i imagine it's even harder for these military guys to come back and be able to walk that line and i'm and again when we talk about assimilation recreating those bonds through the power of jujitsu helps these soldiers to get back to the idea of saying, okay, cool. Maybe Tommy ain't the toughest guy in the world. Maybe he's never killed somebody before. Maybe he's never been in a firefight, but he's my boss. So I have to take a deep breath and I have to kind of realize that this is the world that I'm back in now. And I have to start to play by those rules. Well, I think, you know, with, with jujitsu, with that struggle that we have on the mats, we talked a lot about hypervigilance already, PTSD, um, the physiological components, but you know, your fight or flight system, when you're hypervigilant, it's on all the time. You have all these stressors, and when you have an outlet that uses the fight-or-flight system the way it's supposed to be, your brain is more ready to act in a more, we'll call it normal. I don't like to use that word, but I, don't, I can't think of a better one right now, or maybe a less aroused um, type of environment. Your, your normal faculties are now there ready to operate with the rest of society because you are utilizing and it's the same reason people say you should work out when you have anxiety it's that it's a sim it's that same component only now with someone who's hyper vigilant it's that much more important because you have to use that system otherwise it just produces a bunch of crap that is terribly damaging for your physiology it's, it's bad and you get to use it in jiu-jitsu and it better prepares you to deal with the regular strain of you know the nine to five life that you haven't really dealt with or haven't had to deal with but now you do yeah, I, I've, I I make the correlation a lot thinking about that when I when I talk about like, you know, trained fighters. Like when I go out and and some dude gets in my face and starts yelling because of some drunk dumb shit like that. Like it takes so much for me to care enough to react to that person simply because like you know I do this all day long. I don't care. I have nothing to prove this person because I've already proved it over and over and over again. So nine times out of ten, I just look at the guy and say, "Hey, man, whatever. You're right. I'm an asshole. I apologize." Please just go on about your day. So I imagine that a lot of times, you know, with with suffer some PTSD, you get them in. It's almost like a like a kid. You're like you, what you do with an adolescent. You know, you run them, run them, run them to get them to get it out of their system. So when they come home, they're not tired anymore. So do you think that the the idea of recreating these flight or flight uh, notions in the brain 
through the process of rolling helps to get it out of their system into where now they can also, you know, get back to their normal lives? hundred percent. I mean, but that's, it's not just for, for veterans. That's for every human being who has ever experienced trauma, which is every human being. Yeah. Everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Everybody's dealing with something. And I think sometimes veterans don't understand or don't, they don't know to, who they can trust. They don't understand maybe that their peers in the civilian world have a story too. When you're on the mats and you earn something with those people on the mats, their stories gain a legitimacy with you that it wouldn't have otherwise had. And now you know that even if you're talking to this person, you know they may not exactly understand what you what you did as a veteran or the stressors you were coping with. You're now learning to trust them to hear your story. And you know that even if they don't get it, they're there to support you. And that wasn't present before. That wasn't present before jujitsu. That wasn't a community you were a part of. When I, when I think about trauma, I think, sorry, Kev, when I think about trauma, I think about the overwhelming philosophy or understanding of people that have experienced that trauma. They always feel like no one else is going to get it. No one else understands what they've gone through because they're the only person in the world that's experienced this trauma, said this oppress it. I'm not going to explain it to you because you just wouldn't get it anyway. Sure. So like the idea of going out there and, 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 and working through these things, like it's, it's, means a lot to me coming from someone that's had a significant amount of trauma coming up in, in my earlier days. Jiu-Jitsu has been my salvation through lots and lots of things, man. You know, Kevin, what's amazing with what you just said is that jiu-jitsu is my salvation. I can't tell you how many folks who participated in the study shared the exact same sentiment. Yeah. Um, that it literally saved their life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's amazing because and going back to TJ raised a really important point about the physiological side, right? I mean, when we think about what goes in to fight or flight, um, you know, we have this thing called the HPA axis, right? It's hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal glands. It controls our stress response system. So when shit's hitting the fan, right, and we're dumping epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, all kinds of stuff to be able to perform the way that we need to, fighting or running away, um, when that is constantly on go, 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 and it never stops, there are fMRI studies that show atrophy, right? Within those particular organs. So you are legitimately, it's just like working out. They always say the most important part of working out is is your downtime, resting. Make sure you're resting and make sure you get the right nutrition. Well, when you're exercising, you're constantly going and that stress response cycle, there is burnout. Burnout's a very real thing. And if your body suspends its ability to produce these neurohormones, there are some very real consequences. So being able to associate not just a fight or flight that may be associated with loss or trauma, but also with a reward system, right? Being able to kick in the serotonin and the dopamine, that is super important. And to TJ's point earlier, that's what training does. We have the ability to tap, reset. All right, let me try let me, let me get the move this time, right? So within that span of a, a five-minute round, a 10-minute round of rolling, whatever it is, you have the highs and the lows, the highs and the lows, but they're offsetting one another, right? So th- that's a really important part from the physiological standpoint that isn't always necessarily correlated to what they experience when they think about their trauma. I want to hit on something real fast, sorry, um, because this is something we don't talk about enough. In our society especially, it's human touch. We, we don't experience it enough, um, and it's important. And we yeah. get it on the mats, even though you're trying to, you know, kill each other. <laughs> yeah. There is a, the, that human touch. There's neurotransmitters and chemicals that are, are occurring 
that are the same kind that when you touch your kid's face is, is happening right then in that, that same moment. That creates bonds and it creates a positive reward system. That's part of why jujitsu is so addicting. That touch and it matters. And you can't, you know, you, you can't hug people in society the way that you know, casual touch is a lot of times frowned on or made fun of in, in everyday society. Well, it's not in the gym, it's not on those mats. And that's a component that's kind of overlooked that adds exactly right, in, right into what Gino's talking about in terms of that physiology and those bonds that we build. It's really, really important. It's a huge part of it. And I think that's why you can put people in all kinds of recreational activities that are good for them, like CrossFit or other, other sports that they benefit from. But that's one of the things that makes jujitsu unique. It's touch. And it's such a good point, TJ, too, man. And listen, for, for whoever's tuning in and you guys as well, man, there's a book. And TJ, I know you know this book, On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Um, it's an incredible text, and I would encourage anyone to, to read it. But the whole point is, as human beings, when you're thinking about from a military combative perspective, when you are training and conditioning yourself right, to, to go and take the life of another human being, your own species, Right. Because of political reasons, because of the, the duality between right versus wrong and who's right. And how do you justify that, which can get very convoluted. We have seen that a lot with, with vets who have come back, not just the, the recent wars, but also the Vietnam War as well. Um, there's a lot of questioning. Right. And so when you go through the process of becoming inherently defensive and protecting your body and now you're put into an environment where I'm literally, my chest is on top of yours, right? My carotid artery is right next to yours. My, my, you know, private area, where, like where I'm in guard, like I'm locking it. They seem completely counterintuitive because in a defensive situation, you want space, right? You, you want that distance. So you feel secure. We break those barriers down in jiu-jitsu a hundred percent. And, and that has incredible, incredible value. Well, I think that it just, you want space. And, and I feel like the magical thing about jujitsu is that it teaches you how to safely and effectively make space in unwanted close encounters, you know, like mount your, your mount escapes. It's all about like hipping out, pushing the leg, isolating. You're, you're given a roadmap to success instead of wandering around in the dark, you know, because you can get lucky and flail your way out of basically anything, you know, adrenaline kicks in and you're, you're suddenly Superman for a little bit, but uh, the ability to know what you're doing is uh, it's incredible. And uh, the only real combative situation I ever had, if, if you've looked at me for, for audio only listeners, I'm sorry, but looking at me on the screen, I'm not a fighter. Like I, this, it's weird that I even started doing jujitsu, but I was a, a cross country runner in high school and there was this guy, like there was this uh, guy on the football team that uh, he someone dared him to shove me in the trunk of his car and drive away. So I was just chilling after practice, and one someone came up to me and sort of nonchalantly goes, "Hey, uh, this guy is going to try and kidnap you." And I'm like, "Huh?" And then he just started charging toward me, and I tried to run away. And he's a, a really big, strong guy. I'm a malnourished varsity cross country runner. Yeah, just on a side note, I'll totally kick that guy's ass for you if you want me to. Right? Oh, <laughs> no, that's not. And so he started dragging me across the ground and I'm like trying to grab the grass to like stop him. And he's like, he just, I just have no idea what to do. Luckily, my coach, my cross country coach just arrived and he was a purple belt at the time. Uh, shout out to Ed. 
uh, who he he actually gave me my blue belt uh, sometime after that. Uh, he just jumps on the kid's back, uh, sinks in the choke, and, and gets a body triangle and like brings him to the ground. His head's purple, and he uh, he almost passes out. Someone is slapping him awake, and I'm like, Ed, you saved me. And he grabbed me by my shoulders and said, tell me he was 18. I can't go to jail. <laughs> but I, I can always, if I really try hard enough, put myself back into that absolute unknowing state just the 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 fear and the terror of just not knowing how to defend myself and now i like as a sort of therapy i go through that situation and go okay well when he was there i could have like done a leg sweep i could have like technical stand up to to do something and run away um yeah it's it is magical then in that way it was my salvation also it helps that it is the number one way i'm able to socialize with people you know and i feel like that well, for a lot of people that's the same way uh tj you and you were talking about touch and and gino you were talking about the the different uh ways that jujitsu brings people and breaks down barriers we are currently in a very bad time for jujitsu where you know most of the country has still made it uh had a moratorium on gyms opening up. People are doing it in secret, obviously, but you know, there's a lack of that touch, the, the physical component. Uh, I would love to hear from both of you, how that, how you see that having ramifications going forward for the people that rely on jujitsu as that sort of therapy, as that sort of release. Um, uh, Gino, you could, if you could start, that'd be great. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh... Is it going to change? I mean, yeah, man, look at what we've all have have been going through, right? Do I think that there's light at the end of the tunnel? Absolutely. Um, I think it's really this entire time has has challenged folks to get creative with their training, right? I mean, I think I know so many jujitsu instructors who are doing Zoom classes, right? They're doing the online stuff. Um, You're still missing that touch component, um, but it's amazing. And I'll tell you, actually, TJ and I are both in this. We're we're in in a coaching program with Dr. Roddy Ferguson. And it's uh-huh. it's a uh, yeah. Oh. Friend, friend, friend of the show. Friend of the show. No, 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 no. Listen here now. I walked into the gym cold one day. Four fifty. I front squatted four ninety five. Cold <laughs> off the street. John Jones does not touch Daniel Cormier in his pride. <laughs> we all we all love Roddy Ferguson. Shout out. He is one, one of my of favorite guests of all one time. Of I love him. Um, but you know so. But but doing dummy training, right? That that's a big thing right now. Is it the same as far as the touch component and real time feedback? No, of course not. But as far as being able to drill and have the confidence to know that okay, I'm still going through the movements, I'm still putting myself in, in a training environment, and, and you know if you're lucky enough to be able to to do the Zoom thing, right? That that's great. Do I think that it's something that as far as the, the perpetual nature of what we're going through, how that is going to play out? Do I think we probably still have another four to six months to go? I do. At the end of that, do I think we're going to be A-OK and back to normal? Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, TJ. There's been pandemics before, right? I mean, humankind has never stopped. So it sucks right now. But mm-hmm. it's not always going to suck. It's going to change. We just have to get through a while. And it's not always going to be fun. And there's going to be times when we all suffer. Um, I think this is kind of an interesting uh side piece because my uh, the head of our affiliation up here ishmael bentley um at, at m3 martial arts in minnesota he it's a he's a pedro sour affiliate and he has put together a briefing 
that um, has been, uh, they're attempting to circulate it up to the governor, governor's office to be able to see the plan that he's put together. Um, he just put a, a YouTube out, uh, on, on the thing on it. And it's built in stages where, you know, the first two weeks you do it like this, then you do it like this, where there's more and more contact allowed all the way through. But one of the reasons that, that I think that he talks about why he did it is because you can't expect people that do this sport that want that touch that are used to that activity to not do it. They're going to do it. So, you know, if you, it's, you have to, if you provide a way for them to do it with milestones and ways to look forward to, to what's going to, to it happening, to getting to do it, you lessen the likelihood that irresponsible behavior or something unsafe is going to occur. So he said part of, part of the argument for having this plan and getting, getting it pushed so that the, the policymakers can see it is to help ensure that people will, you know, act by it. Because if you don't and you don't offer them anything, they're going to find a way. Yeah. And um, in an environment like this, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know. It's, that's a little bit of an unpredictable threat. I mean, we, there's a lot we know about the virus. There's a lot we don't. And um, we just don't, we don't know where it's going to go. But I think everybody wishes they could predict that. And the more people you have kind of operating on their own with, with, with lack of guidance, you know, that's a problem. If you create some guidance and you create a plan for people to follow that they can look forward to, that they can expect, um, that might be a better path forward than, you know, you lump, jujitsu is an interesting thing. You lump them in with gyms. Well, you open a gym. Okay, gyms are open. Then you can do jujitsu. You still have a whole other bunch of constraints to deal with. So it is a tough question. I, I you know, I echo what Gino said. Um, you know, we got months to deal with in different parts of the country, different things. And that's a challenge that we defy is dealing with because we have athletes, veterans that we're sponsoring and that are that we want to start and we had to stop because gyms are closed so now part of what i'm doing is managing okay which gyms are open and we can we can start students at again and which ones can't we so that i'm juggling all that that's a real challenge yeah um, you know one thing that's really interesting tj that, that you say man and, and it, it really resonates so the idea all of us know part of the a huge part of the training process in jiu-jitsu is becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable Right. And, and being able to, to, to garner patience. Right. How, how important is that when, when we're rolling and we're working on certain things um, to find that opening? And we may have to go through a bit of a suck fest to get there. Right. But when we get there, we're, we're good. Right. So jujitsu is an incredible catalyst for that. And so I think this time especially has given folks the ability to kind of work on the, the mental side. Right. And really put some of the principles that are learned on the mat to be able to apply it to different facets of their life. Now that's much more on the philosophical side of things, right? But jujitsu, it's, 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 it's chest, right? And so being able to know the right moves, the right pieces, uh, being able to understand and be very methodical with your decision-making ability and how you manage your life and your lifestyle when we're going through a stressful period like this, that is a pandemic, yeah. um, I think has a lot of inherent qualities as well. Do I think that's a different level of understanding and diving into it than someone just walking into an academy and being a white belt for a month or two? Yeah, absolutely, man. But I think those principles, um, they, they, they resonate. Well, and you know, I had a, a friend who's a therapist and one of the things he used to say is, you know, we, we have an expectation today that we're always supposed to be okay. Mm -hmm. we're always supposed to feel good. And we have this reliance on a lot of meds with, with psych, psych, psychiatric treatment. But his, his thinking was that, that was, those were more of a, um, a symptom check and not a, a resolution piece. Because um, you, you can't expect you're always going to feel okay. You have to learn how to be okay not being okay. 
that is jujitsu. We, we've heard that phrase so many times, you know, it's comfortable without being comfortable or comfortable while you're uncomfortable. And that totally applies right now. And I thought that to myself, man, this is going to suck. Yeah. But I, and you know what else? I learned something in the military. Stuff sucks sometimes and you can get through it. And jujitsu teaches that same lesson. Well, uh, Kev, you, uh, you're living in a state where jujitsu is being re-implemented. How is, how are things going for, for you and, uh, the, the guys, you know, down there? So, I mean, again, depends on where you're training at and which, which gym wants to follow the rules. And you got to remember, this is Florida. We're in the wild west. We can do whatever the hell we want to do. No, nothing's really going to be enforced out here. This is like, you know, <laughs> the, the last bastion of the, uh, of the civil war, <laughs> the, the real South down here, man, we do what we do what we want. Um, uh, but what I've encountered in particularly my gym that I train at, uh, that I coach at, uh, Matter Royals gym is we've been doing socially distanced classes, uh, which aren't great, you know, to, to be honest with you, it's, 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 it's boring. It's not cool. It's not real jujitsu, but what it is, is it's still an opportunity for these guys that want to go for the community of what jujitsu holds for them to show up to a gym at six o'clock, like they're scheduled to go to every week to be a part of the camaraderie that's involved with that. And, and when I'm teaching my classes now, you know, you know, we do very philosophical talks, and sometimes I just sit up there and tell stories and laugh and just get these guys talking and enjoying each other while we go through the motions of whatever we're stuck with at this time. Because, you know, the idea in my mind, and I always say this a lot, like, you know, jujitsu is almost secondary to learning jujitsu, right? What you really learn from jujitsu are these 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 abilities to conquer things, to become a part of a community and, 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 and to find ways to, 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 to get through your, your, your daily struggles. And, and when you come in the room, like you have to figure out a way to do that. You have to figure out a way to connect to these people, figure out a way to, to, to make them forget about whatever hell else is going on on their day. And if it means coach Kevin sits up at the front of the desk or sit up, sits up at the front of the room and tells jokes for 45 minutes and does a little stretching and pretends like I shows you an arm bar, then, hey, that's what you do to get these guys through that, you know, to connect to them, to, to, to get them through these tough times. Man. I think um, the one thing that really impresses me about some of the some pieces of the jiu-jitsu community is, you know, we're, this is a, a time where we're dealing with a lot of adversity mm -hmm. and not just in jiu-jitsu, but when people adapt, that to me is inspiring. And it's, it's easy in a way to, to go and, um, and just kind of go rogue. And, and I can't, easy is not the right term. I mean, it's, it's, there's considerations with all that. But I'm really inspired when I see people step up to the adversity and look at the constraints on them and say, this is how we're going to make it work. That, that impresses me. And even when it's not perfect and it's not as good as I wish it could be, there, there's a component of pride and excitement for me when, when I see people stand up like that So. This is what we're going to do because this, this is the best we can do with it. We're going to make this work for now. It's going to get better later. That's inspiring. Too. That helps me get through the rough stuff. You know, it's really interesting too, TJ, when you, when you say that, like, so resiliency, right? The, the, the incredible thing about jujitsu, right? And, and, and progressing and going on and sticking with it. I have never met an upper belt that is not inherently just resilient because listen, you get tapped. So what? No big deal. Go back do better next time. Right. right. You, you fail at something in life, okay, 
go back, do it again. What did you learn? Do it again, over and over and over again. So, so the ability to apply the resiliency component, and look, the military has, has especially the army, they have dropped a lot of coin uh, on trying to ramp up resiliency training, right? And being able to have, there's a program that they have called Comprehensive Soldier Fitness. TJ, I think you and I, we, we had to talk about that when you and I touched base a couple months ago, but um, they have spent millions upon millions of dollars um, trying to understand the, the, the art and science that is building resiliency and, and, and three fundamental things that come along with it. Uh, typically, it's something that has to be a combination of physical, mental, and social. You have to feed all three pillars uh, in order to build a comprehensive sense of resiliency. And so when you think of jujitsu, do we have the physical, do we have the mental, and do we have the social? Absolutely, we do, right? Now, what matters with all three? The consistency factor. When you stick with it, right? Because you push, you continuously, every training session is adversity, reward, adversity, reward, adversity, reward, right? And so um, the ability to, to continuously bounce in between those domains to, to, to make ourselves tougher, to make ourselves have more grit. That's not stuff in that you learn in a textbook. That that stuff's forged. Like th there's no easy way of, of creating a resilient outlook and a, a resilient approach. Just like the same thing with um, having good habits or, or having excellence in your life. That stuff it's forged and it takes time to forge it. So I got I have one more question for you guys before we get going here because I gotta get to, I gotta go teach a class at six and I gotta move around. Kev, you got anything else? You got anything we we'll talk about before? No, no, no. Take it away, man. So um, obviously we've talked about what you guys offer and, and, and we defy organization is it's, it's one of my favorites. Like I, I want anything I can do to help support this cause. I want to offer whatever limited, you know, range of, of spectrum that I have to reach to whatever community follows me. I want to help you guys do that because I really uh, believe uh, it. a hard pause on that. I'll probably <laughs> edit this out. Uh, Kev, uh, you're not supposed to do that. Sorry, TJ and Gino. It's it's weird, but this this podcast is actually really anti-veteran. You know, so like I don't know if that I, I should have brought that up at the top. It, we'll Sorry edit that, that out. Don't worry about it. It's, it's hey, you pissed me off, Kevin. I I know. I knew it's going to be a little thing. It's just it's that's all. <laughs> so the the point I'm trying to say is we, we've heard a lot of great discussions today. We've heard a lot of things about what, what We Defy does and, and, and what your research is, is brought to the table. But between the two of you, obviously we're not doing enough. You know, obviously you guys are still struggling to get to get scholarships for your uh, for your um, your your soldiers that come home and, and obviously Gina, there's you know the the full range of what the the veterans association has to offer to suffers of ptsd along this accord is nowhere near you know sufficient where do we go from here what are some things that tj you think we need to do and what does your organization need to do and, and from medical terms what what do you feel like we need to do next to be able to get the infrastructure and the funding to be able to do that from the medical side you know we'll start with tj first I think, you know, for us, we are a small nonprofit that has seen incredible exposure and growth. And that's a fantastic problem to have. Most of the uh, fundraising we did early on was a grassroots thing. And as we get bigger and as we uh, our reach gets bigger, as we formalize, um, organizationally, we're going to have to start looking to bigger funding sources like grants and, and maybe government, VA funding, things like that, and bringing people into our organization that have access to those types of things that know how to do that so that when we, when we start asking 
we know how to ask the right people in the right way. Um, and it takes a while for an organization to get to get that kind of, of growth. Um, we don't have a problem finding gyms that want to support us. We don't find a problem uh, or have a problem finding veterans that need our help. What we need is funds. And we can have people can donate online on our website at wedefyfoundation.org. Uh, there's a donate now button there. You can do give donations for gear. We just had a, a new set of geese drop on pre-order, and there's a couple styles that are only on pre-order till June 6th, and then that's it. We have a new rash guard. That's the Gadsden flag, if you know what that is. It's it's pretty steeped in American history. All those avenues go towards helping us put our guys and gals on the mats. But another thing right now that's I think important to recognize is. Small businesses are hurting right now. And we're not just putting veterans on the mats. We're supporting small businesses that are maybe not getting the big checks, you know, or whatever they were, assistance, things like that. Mom and pop stores, different places like that. So the support that we provide our veterans are the most important part. But organic to that is the jiu-jitsu community that's hurting right now. And as schools open up and we were able to place more and more of that, that's that's a good thing that's going to continue to happen. You know that, that we can reach out and touch and make a difference as an organization, not just for veterans right now, but for a lot more people than that that are, are hurting at the moment. Um, Future-wise, I think uh, you know this problem ain't going away. It's just getting awareness out and um, you know using your support, Kevin. I mean, you know we've had a couple collaborations. It's, it's amazing, you know, to see the way that people want to help us get the message out, get veterans on the mats. Uh, and we just have to keep, keep pushing that way. And, um, you know, getting the rash guards, get, you know, on the mats and competition. So like letting people see and letting people hear what we do. Um, and the last thing I want to say, and it's taking this ice a little bit off direction, but our motto is prove them wrong. And I think uh, when I think about what that means, there's guys that the VA says, or maybe a therapist or doctor says, you're never going to walk again. You're never going to go do this again. There's so many limitations are put on veterans with disabilities. Um, but that tagline, proving them wrong, we use it to help inspire people to not listen and to go out and do something that maybe other people think you wouldn't be able to do. But there, there's another part to that where it's, we all have a naysayer in our own heads, somebody that, a voice that says, I can't do that. I shouldn't compete. I'm going to lose. It's scary. We all have negative self-talk. That's the voice to prove wrong. And that's something that jujitsu can bring to everybody. And that's why it works for veterans. Awesome, man. That's 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 re really well said, man. I, I tell you 100%. Like, I've had a few people that come up to me that wear We Defy shirts. that just say, hey, man, I read that article. You know, I'm a veteran. I really appreciate what you do. And, like, shit like that, even if it's two, three people, shit like that really means something to me, man. It really does. Like, I mean, you know, you yeah. – that support is awesome. It's yeah. incredible. Cool, man. It, to be able to see it firsthand, it, it, it makes it real for me. Yeah. So, amazing. Gino, what, what do you think, man? What are the, some of the things we can do from the medical perspective to gain more awareness and maybe bring this into the forefront instead of just some you know, off-the-cuff research that you did to, to a real case study that could get more results and get more, more things done? Yeah, you know, so it's something that I've been working on pretty diligently for about the past year and a half. A lot of folks don't realize the VA is the second most well-funded government entity outside of the DOD in this country, right? There are an incredible amount of dollars that go into the VA. And on the onset, you know, the, the government can make the, the argument that, hey, you know, we're taking care of our veterans, we're pumping dollars into the VA, but we have seen that the methodologies 
do not work, especially from a behavioral perspective and how it is that we're addressing these sorts of issues. So numbers talk, right? So the idea, what's the next step for this research? We have to have a, a, a large study that, that is nationwide. I mean, and, and a very, I mean, I had 20 participants in my study and that's, that's nothing, right? Do I think that that's, um, that small sample represents a lot of variety of what is out there. Sure. But listen, there's so many, I mean, we need thousands. I mean, thousands of participants uh, to really get some solid data so we can then take that to DC and be able to get the right funding. Cause look, what, what my goal for at the end of all this is to have TRICARE pay, right? For the, the training for all of these guys and gals. There's no reason why they shouldn't. TRICARE is the insurance arm of the military right, for health insurance and healthcare. When you look at, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or other health insurance companies out there, they have programs set up where they will pay for a gym membership. If it's if you can prove that you are, it's something that is contributing to your health and well-being that will offset costs for things that you may get down the line, they'll happily fork that bill. So why wouldn't we do the same thing? Whether it's jujitsu or some other sort of quote unquote play therapy, why, why wouldn't we do that? Right. It, it makes sense to do so. We just have to have the numbers and mass quantity to be able to justify and make the argument. Awesome, man. That's cool, man. That's that's ho hopefully we can get to a point to where we, we get these guys the help they need, because, you know, it's it's it, I it, it angers me to know in to see guys continue to suffer and, and know what I know about jujitsu and how it can help. And, and if it's at least like at least give them an option to do that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have uh, uh, right before we're wrapping up here, I just wanted to, you know, everyone, uh, uh, everyone should or, or probably does know someone tied to the military in some way, you know, some more than others. You know, my my little brother, Sean, uh, he's one of those kids. He he was told at every level of education that, you know, you're dumb, you're not good enough, you're you're stupid. And it, it sucked having to see that. You know, he, he gets to college, thinks it's not for him, decides to join the Marine Corps. Cut to a little over two years later. Now he's a he's a corporal. He's a crew chief down in Beaufort. And he's found everything that he needed in life once he uh, joined up. You know, he's never been happier. He is uh, appreciated. And that matters. You know, these these are people that, need those things. They're, they're people that go in looking for something that's missing and they give a lot. They give uh, just about everything. They, they sign away a certain period of their life that could be, that could lead them into the most dangerous situations you can see. Mm -hmm. So uh, to, to have both of you guys on to, to bring some awareness to that issue, it, it personally, it means a lot for me. Um, Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, he's, still, he's still a bit messed up about re reliving the, uh, the 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 beatdown he got from the from the football player. And, uh, yeah, no, no, we had, no, we had, to, go, we had to delve deep into that one, man. Yeah, I was more, I was more. You know, it's crazy. I'm more horrified that back then I was 120 pounds, and I'm like, that's crazy to think about. So uh, yeah, shout out to uh, crew chief crew chief Sean Bradley. Uh, I don't know if you watch all of these, but uh, we're mentioning you here at the end. Um, this has been a very, uh, a very powerful episode, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, right here at the end, you talked a lot, but uh, if there's anywhere, anything else you wanted to plug at the end, uh, now's the time to do that. Uh, Gino, you want to go first? 
Yeah, man. You know, I would just say that the biggest thing is awareness, right? Be, be, being able to have exposure on when most people think of jujitsu and society, right? They think MMA, UFC, fighting, self-defense without really understanding the, the, the deeper things that are at play, right? The relationships, uh, the skill sets, the knowledge, the confidence. Uh, there's so much that, that goes into that that is outside the context of quote unquote fighting. I mean, Kevin, look, man, you, you've been in the combative arts for pretty much your whole life, man. You've competed at the highest of levels. Do you ever foresee a time in your life in the course of, of what you have, the time, the years you have left to where you would never recognize or identify as a fighter? No, it's, 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 it's a part of me. It's who I am. Yeah, it's exactly right, brother. It's a part, it's ingrained into the fabric of who you are. The warrior ethos, the warrior identity, you don't just go in, into war and then come back and like, okay, I'm a civilian now. It doesn't work that way, man. That's not how identity, the tentacles of association, it is a culmination and you never lose that. It can change. It can morph into something else. And jujitsu is that tool, is that vehicle that allows you to still maintain that warrior ethos, that warrior identity, and social collectivity uh, with folks that that is that you're bonded through, right? With blood, sweat, and tears, very similar to what it is that is experienced um, when you're deployed out. Okay, uh, I meant like Instagram or Twitter, but that was really cool <laughs> and very eloquent. Yeah, so that's fine. <laughs> He's got a problem with you, man. I don't, I don't, I don't no, know. You know okay, no, you know, you, it's just that you're looking too good for these times, man. Like, I, I got this beard. I got, I wear a hat because my hair looks like shit. That's not oh, the no. guy that beat you up, Kev. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not, it's not okay. the same dude. All he right. And this is the last time I open up on the show, Kevin. That's oh, what you're telling uh, TJ, uh, any anything the viewers can go to, like links that you wanted to plug? Uh, just yeah, to, to do Gino just did, do I? Like I can, no, we're good. You're good. Just, just give us a website. And we can move on. So I got shit to do, man. I don't know. I don't know if Gino missed the okay. point. I'm trying to wrap things up. <laughs> I already said all the things. Like I don't know. Yeah. No. So. Uh, so. Just. Uh, every, we'll, we'll include links to the. We'll include links to the the We Defy Foundation and uh, where you can read more of Gino's work in the description down below. But. Uh, once again, uh, thank you both for coming on. We hope to have you on again soon, hopefully when we're all more full of jujitsu and I'm uh, a little less disheveled looking. So uh, Gino doesn't intimidate me as much. I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Kevin Gallagher. Uh, stay safe. Uh, love one another. Give some air fives and long distance hugs if need be. We're missing the, the feeling of physical contact. But just know that we're coming towards the end of this. You know, I, I say that a lot, but, you know, this time I mean it for, for real this time. And uh, a shout out to all those that have served. Thank you very much for your service and those that are continuing to give all they have for the greatest country in the world. We will not forget you. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.